I couldn't go into the Brill Building in New York City and write my name on the top of the page. I, nothing would come to me. I have to be kind of outside. And then I open up to the universe, and they come falling down on me. You're tuned into Measured Voices, Episode 23. I'm your host, Walt Huntsman. Ahead, I sit down with Wendy Matson. We'll find out why she calls herself an ADD musician. Wendy talks about her time performing overseas and what it taught her, common themes in her songwriting, and learning to handle feedback on her songs from other songwriters. We'll also talk about why she thinks of songwriting as a spiritual thing, next on Measured Voices. Let's start off with uh, talking about your musical style and your approach to music. How do you, how do you describe your music to other people? That is always so hard because I'm I call myself kind of a uh, an ADD musician because I don't like just one style. I think probably the umbrella. Uh, genre would be folk, contemporary folk. But with that, I do teeny bits of jazz, mm -hmm. hints, uh, little bits of country. I, I'm not a country vocalist. Um, a little bit of blues. So eclectic folk, and I've heard eclectic is sort of a bad term nowadays. It's overly used. So... I guess contemporary folk, but with lots of different... American styles. It's very American. Contemporary folk and its uh, close and distant cousins, then. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Now, are, are you, uh, you self-taught on guitar? Or I'm self-taught okay. on everything. Uh, now, you've been, you've been doing this a while. <laughs> and uh, in looking at, at your website, it mentions that you started touring Idaho and South Dakota, and then you later branched out around more of the country and did some overseas stuff. What was that journey like, and, and how did that end up either affecting or influencing your music? Now, which, now, when I was on the road in the U.S., I did commercial top 40 music oh, in wow. bands. So for the first probably 20 years of my career, I did commercial stuff. Top 40 dance, I played at shorties and bars like that, dance bands. And I also played bass as well as guitar. Did, did that experience, I, I, I assume it taught you something, but what, what, did, what did, did that teach you anything that you were able to carry over into what I guess we could call the, the, the second stage then of your, of your career? Yes, because... In order to learn songwriting, I had to ape other songwriters. So, I mean, so I used to pick out, before all this visual technology, I would pick out songs off of the record. And, I, and so the Beatles, Paul Simon, all, all the Eagles, I consider them my first songwriting teachers because I played them and played them over and over and over again before I even tried to write a song. And then I started, it took me another 20 years to find my own voice, because I tried to imitate, I tried to write for Joni Mitchell, I was singing out of my range. There's a lot to 
work on with, when you're writing a song. So I did, made all sorts of mistakes, like singing out of my range, trying to copy other people rather than finding my own voice. And I think that's a process that probably lots of people go through. Probably. <laughs> and I want to talk more about songwriting a little bit later, okay. but... Um, in terms of, of the, all that traveling that you did and, and getting to go to, uh, I believe, uh, Japan, I mm -hmm. think, and, and, and whatnot, what, what eventually brought you back to Boise? Well, I was based here, and it was like a six-month tour. It was a DOD tour, so I played on Air Force bases in Korea, obviously South Korea, Japan, Guam, Hawaii, Seattle and Pocatello <laughs> and Missoula, <laughs> the sublime and the ridiculous. It taught me about performing. It taught me about playing because I was a solo act for a long time. It taught me about playing with other people, listening to other people. I also played bass instead of guitar, which has got a different function. So I'm not going to be trying to be lead bass. So... That's probably, and performing in front of an audience and knowing some songs are slow. And I was mostly in dance bands. So we did lots of up-tempo stuff. And you mentioned, you mentioned earlier that uh, the first, I guess, stage of, of your career, you were doing uh, commercial top 40 style music. When you decided it was time for you to find your own voice, as it were. Who were, who were some of the, the people, the songwriting influence? I know you mentioned uh, the Beatles when you first started trying to write, but uh, a lot of their songs don't necessarily seem like they would necessarily be your voices either. So uh, were there other, other songwriters oh, that you God, looked to? The, oh, all sorts of people. Suzanne Vega, The Pretenders, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell... Um, the Eagles, I'm a harmony nut, and even when I play solo, I'll harmonize with my guitar, because I really am passionate for harmonies. Uh, so even though it comes out Wendy, I mean, I listen to the Beatles more than anything. I know I don't sound Beatley, but they were my first songwriting teachers. I tend to write short songs. That's a direct influence of the Beatles. They have a lot of less than two-minute songs and mm -hmm. three-minute songs. And I notice that my songs tend to be short, and I think that's from listening eight hours a day for many years. <laughs> Were the Beatles then um, one of those groups that you, you picked up on that idea of, I, I don't know if they did it, directly, but were you picked up on the idea of harmonizing with your guitar, or, or did you get that idea from... That came later. That okay. came way, way okay. later. But what I did with the Beatles and the Eagles and other, I love the harmony groups, is I would listen to the record and pick out all of the harmonies, sing all of the harmonies. Okay. So that's how I taught myself how to do that. And I also have a chorus background. I was in acapella choirs oh, wow. okay. in school. So that I and I have a natural harmony ear. I actually fought singing melody, but because nobody knows my songs, I just kind of got forced singing lead. I never sang lead before I started doing my own music. Oh, wow. I sang backup harmonies and bass. So at this point, I think we uh, we will listen to uh, to one of your songs. 
This song is called Who, What, Why, Where. I wrote it on a napkin at an old hippie folk club called the Coffee Clatch many years ago. And I am being accompanied by Alan on the flute. driving to you help me believe and let you lead to see what I'll see and sense with no senses Talk to the air As if it knows The Who, what, who, and where Talk to the air as if it knows the what, who, and where. Let's let's talk songwriting a bit. Uh, do you have a, a typical approach when it comes to writing a song, or how does that uh, how does that whole process work for you? Every which way but loose. Sometimes I'll get a riff, 
on okay. a guitar, sometimes even a rhythm, sometimes a title. I have a whole list of song titles, and then I cross them off once I write them. Sometimes a lyric or a theme. I want to, like, I have a song. It's going to take me a while. A, a hundred years ago, and it's about my parents' era because my de- mom was born in 1915. But that's going to have some research. So I do some journalisticy type songs, some history things, personal stuff. Um, I'm passionate about animals, the environment. Okay. So it comes. Lots of ways, but in the last 10 years, I've realized I like to write while doing a repetitive activity, swimming, hiking, snowshoeing, biking, walking, driving, out in nature. I'll get a melody, and I don't even have any device, because I figure that if I can remember the melody... Without a pen and paper, it's a strong melody. And so I, for the last 10 years, have been writing a lot without my instrument, out in nature, getting the melody and the lyrics fine-tuned, and then I come and put the guitar part to it. Interesting, because I think you're the only other person I've, I've heard oh. that does it, because that's because I don't play guitar very well and don't have a good sense of chords, cording, I tend to form the melody and the lyrics in my head as well. And it reminded me that uh, uh, of something I think Willie Nelson said, that uh, he, he, that'll sometimes come to him when he's in bed, but he won't get up and, and, and write it down because he figures if it's that good, he'll remember it in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't trust my memory that well. Um, what about uh, how much time? How much time do you when you get a melody and a lyric and and you've got you, you the basic song? Do you spend a lot of time on revision? Oh or? God, yeah, <laughs> I do. And often, like the last song I did, I'm going to do it till I get it right. That has been a prophetic song because I've it's it's changed a hundred. I've done lots of different rewrites, and it's mostly the lyrics. For 90%, 99% of the time, the music doesn't need fixing, but it's the lyrics. Too many words per measure or not being clear enough. And I've gone to Song Camp, a wonderful three-day songwriting school in Sisters, Oregon. I've gone there like nine years, and they'll give you mentoring. And I actually did a workshop with can I say his name? Bruce Michael mm-hmm. Miller and Pat Daly. This last Bruce, Bruce is a, a friend of the podcast. He's, uh, he's been a guest. Okay, so. and uh, and so that I think has really exponentially improved my songwriting. I I thought a song was done, and I'll bring it to someone like Bruce or somebody at Sisters and. They'll find, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll say, it sounds great. I wouldn't make a correction. Sometimes they make a correction. And and then it's really kind of an interesting process because it's like handing your child over mm-hmm. to somebody, and I can be a little resistant. And But then Bruce said something 
fabulous. He says the song is the king. Everything has to has to be for to make the song the best possible. So get your ego out of the mix. So he had a couple suggestions for a song that I really thought was done. And I remember going through some odd emotional stuff with it, like, I don't know if I agree with that. Two things were obvious. He got it dead on. And so I fixed those in like five minutes. The third thing, I'm still not 100% sure (laughs) because I still am the final say on my song. So I'm learning that I do have a voice and that I don't have to take everything everybody says. Like, you know, and then maybe two years from now, I'll look at the third thing and go, yeah, he was right, or no, it's because they're living things. I notice my songs change over the years. It's funny because I've I've been writing lyrics for 40 plus years, and but I still kind of consider myself a, a beginning songwriter because I haven't put most of them out there anywhere. So it's still a little hard sometimes to, <laughs> to take... Uh, no matter how nicely they say it you know, when they give you that feedback, because you want affirmation. You know? um, <laughs> but how how would you say your your songwriting has changed over or evolved over time? I've gotten much less wordy. You know, somehow Billy Joel can put pull it off. <laughs> But I I put too many, you know, in a four-beat measure, I'd put 12 words. That was my biggest mistake. That was my biggest, biggest, biggest. The other thing was phrasing. Because I'm more of an instrumentalist than a vocalist, or I've spent more time on my instrument Mm -hmm. than my vocalist, I had a very fabulous piece of feedback by a a professional singer who told me, you write like an instrumentalist, you need to write for your voice. And that's when I realized I was writing for coloratura sopranos, and I'm a tenor. So, So I'm writing more for my voice, and my, and it's simpler. My songs have become a little bit easier, a little bit less complicated. It's actually easier to write a 12-chord song than a three-chord song, I've noticed. Mm -hmm. A three-chord song that is interesting and good, that's pretty hard to do. (laughs) I've I've heard you uh, on occasion introduce songs uh, sort of in a way that that suggests that you are uh, the vessel. In a sense, the song has come to you. Uh, would you say it's important for songwriters to to be open to sort of receiving? I mean, it's a spiritual thing. Paul Simon, who is a god to me, he has long known. He start a song, and and he he's channels. He may not say it that way, but they come to him, and. And he won't even know what the song's about as he started writing it, and it tells him as, oh, it's about this. And that's happened to me, too. I think it's a totally spiritual experience writing songs. And that's why I go out in nature. I'm very, very connected to nature. I couldn't go into the Brill Building in New York City and write my name on the top of the page. Nothing would come to me. I have to be kind of outside. 
And then I open up to the universe, and they come falling down on me. Now, uh, you've you've mentioned at times that you're you're very interested in in the environment and in animals. Uh, are there other themes that you find yourself uh, drawn to when you write these days, or, or are those the predominant themes in your music? Oh, personal relationships. Just the passage of time, you know, being the age I am now, as a poet, because I started writing in 72. That was the first song that I didn't throw away. <laughs> so that was a while back. So what I where I was coming from in 70s is different than where I'm coming from now. So I have some different kind of themes. Well, since I know that the environment is... Uh one of uh, one of the themes that you're drawn to. So we're going to uh, listen to uh, another one of your songs that uh, deals with that directly. All right. This next song is called Sea World. The ocean gave it to me. And I'm being accompanied again by Alan. Sea the world through our eyes. The sea is where we roam. Not here for your pleasure. We've got lives of our own. Treat us with respect. Our lives depend on it we are in the grand scheme the ocean is our home blue green glass like our waves high some some swim below This is where our songs ride The wind and ocean floor Treat us with respect All life depends on it We are in the grand scheme, the ocean is our home. Take 
what you need to live on But don't destroy our home Treat us with respect All life depends on it our home we are in the grand scheme the ocean is our home see the world through our eyes These days, you, you perform a lot at, uh, or at least some, at nursing homes, assisted living facilities. What is it uh, that you either uh, draws you to that pl- those places or that you enjoy about performing at those kinds of places? My father was 43 when I was born. I've always had a real affinity toward elders, always. Um, after college, I spent a year as an activity director at a small nursing home in Kimberley and started using music as a program. Then in the early 90s, it fell in my lap, an opportunity to work at a nursing home. That's actually my bread and butter. I actually do more of that than playing in bars and restaurants. I find it way more fulfilling. Um, I work in memory care places where they can't tell me their name, but they could sing every single word to uh, You Are My Sunshine or Home on the Range. Uh, and I also, with the assisted living, it gives me an opportunity to actually perform. Oftentimes in a bar or a restaurant, you're just a jukebox standing there being summarily ignored. I don't really like being ignored very much. Toward the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about, uh, I believe it was Department of Defense tour that you had done. And and now these days you you do also have done some performing at the VA hospital as well, uh, providing uh, what I believe is labeled as therapeutic music. Talk about those kinds of experience and, and maybe tell people exactly what therapeutic music is or, okay. or the can re- be. <laughs> well, I call myself a therapeutic musician because I do not have a formal degree in music therapy. I have a degree in speech therapy, but I didn't go to grad school. I got bitten by the music bug. So then I spent my life doing music. But I also have this social worky type part of my personality and wanting to make the world a better place. So there's active and passive music therapy. Active is like what I do at Emerson. It's a a memory care place where the activity director hands out percussion instruments to the residents and I play old favorites and they play along with me. Sing, clap, play the instruments, dance sometimes, that's active. Passive, and I've done hospice work and people that are too, like at the VA, people that won't come out to activities, but I come to their room 
and I'll play for them. Sometimes they're conscious, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they love me to come in and play music, but they don't want to leave their room. That would be passive. And you find that rewarding, I assume. I love it. I love it. And I also bring my dog, so I get to. My dog's a therapy dog. He doesn't. It, your dog doesn't accompany you on the music. No, he's though. not a hound. <laughs> he's a border collie. <laughs> now, in in looking at your website, I, I also saw that you either do or at least at one time provided uh, custom songwriting services for people, and, and that it made me think. Uh, back to uh, a different age, the 16th and 17th centuries, when uh, artists, poets, composers had patrons that uh, they would write for, and uh, you know Shakespeare comes to mind in that regard. What was the most, if you if you can remember, what was the most unusual song commission request you've ever gotten for a song? And and I've not gotten paid for anything. These are mostly for friends. I'm trying to develop that a little bit. Well, the first one was a song about friendship. That was the first one that I wrote for somebody for a Christmas present, Kindred Spirits. Um, I've written about five songs for an (laughs) (laughs) ex-boyfriend. Yeah, he... uh, Let's see. I have one coming up, a wedding song for my girlfriend's daughter that just got married. So for a wedding gift, I gave her uh, that I'm going to write a custom-made song. You have to give me some details, what mm-hmm. makes your love life different than anybody else's. And then I will record it with Don Cunningham and then hand write the lyrics and frame it. So that's my wedding gift to them. Okay. I did that when I was younger. I wrote uh, a couple of songs for friends who had gotten married, partly because I couldn't afford to get them an actual <laughs> wedding gift. So <laughs> exactly, that was part of it. That was part of it. Um, in addition to that, you've also uh, sort of uh, branched, not out of, but slightly sideways from music to. Uh, Inventor, entrepreneur. <laughs> yes, necessity being the mother of invention. I have neck and shoulder and back issues. I've got scoliosis, and I have a very large jumbo guitar, and the shoulder strap was just a misery. And so, probably eighteen years ago, I took it off of my shoulder because I was thinking, I don't know if I could play anymore. It's just uncomfortable. There's that mm. nerve. And I put it around my waist, and I went, holy mackerel, this works. And I had a friend who was a shoe repair salesman, so he he uh, altered it for me that goes around the waist. Now, because I'm all artist and not much business, I just used it forever. But I wanted to do something with it. My, um, I have inventors in my family. My Uncle Joe invented the flex straw. In the early 20th century. Different world, totally different world. But I had it in my brain, you know. And then last January, a miracle happened. A marketing consultant fell in my lap. I think this is all kind of spiritual stuff. I, I, um, it was a very weird situation. I met her friend at a tiny restaurant, 
and they were talking about writing and animals. So after I finished eating, I walked over there and I said, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I heard you talking about animals and writing and I have this CD that I want to, I need a marketing person. They gave me Jane's phone number, and we've been working together for a year. So I've gotten a prototype. I'm now an LLC. I've got a tax ID number, all that stuff. I've sold seven at this at this date. So we're just at the beginning stages. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to come back to uh, music more directly now in Boise, and and based on your experiences, your observations. I'm wondering um, how supportive or receptive do you find people in this area to be when it comes to to original music? Well, the ISA is the best <laughs> by far. Um, I find it the be- the the main venue for songwriters. Um, other play, it's changed. At, I remember when I first started playing, like in the 90s, it was all commercial music. You couldn't do any originals. Nobody wanted it. Then, in the early 2000s, it was mostly all originals, especially for small acts like me, because of the ASCAP BMI mm-hmm. stuff. Now I'm noticing it's kind of more of a mix. You know, when you do covers, uh, what do you look for? In deciding whether whether that's a song you want to do or not, something that is interesting, something that's in my range. I mostly sing males because I'm a tenor. I'm very low, or I transpose the holy heck out of it. So I'm doing like Angels from Montgomery, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Dylan, "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," uh, John Prine, Pr- "A Paradise," Eric Clapton. See, these are mostly men. Um, Nobody's business but my own. Uh, I do some jazz standards, uh, the mamas and papas, dream a little dream of me. I do a wide variety. I just get bored. (laughs) Well, as we're recording this, we're coming close to the end of 2018, and this will air at the very beginning of 2019. So let's, let's talk 2019. Do you have anything... Coming up in the new year that you're uh, excited about or that uh, you're hoping to do in, in 2019? Well, I definitely want to expand the sales of my waist strap. And I, I took a break from booking out. I find booking to be a really difficult. It's It's frustrating. It's just hard. That's the hardest part. I tell people I play for free. I charge for hauling the equipment and for booking the job. <laughs> I play for free. <laughs> so, so, so I took a year break and just did the nursing homes. And now I'm just starting to get back into getting out in the community a little bit more. So if you don't have to reach out to them for the booking, if they call you and they offer to come get the equipment, it's free. Is that, uh, <laughs> mm, <laughs> maybe I spoke too soon. <laughs> okay. Well, at, at this point, I uh, just want to thank you for sitting down and, and talking, talking music. And we're going to close out with one more song. And thank you, Walt, for for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. So I wrote this song in 1986. It's called I'm Gonna Do It Till I Get It Right. It is an observational song, not an autobiographical one. It's about people that get married a lot. I'm gonna do it till I get it right. 
I'm gonna do it till I get it right. I'm gonna do it till I get it right. I'm playing the odds and it's only a question of time. These are the words she told me with her courtroom yawn. A veteran of five, she barely survived between husbands. Always had another man before the next season dawned. A wedding rings in her eyes, she thinly disguised her nesting now ways. I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm playing the odds and it's only a question of time Oh yeah, I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm gonna do it till I get it right Then I won't have to spend any more lonely nights To put her new face on And bolts out the door A free bird once more Whistling this old tune I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm playing the odds And it's only a question of time Oh yeah I'm gonna do it till I get it right I'm gonna do it till I get it right Then I won't have to spend any more lonely nights Oh no, I won't have to spend any more lonely nights My thanks to Wendy Matson and her accompanist, Alan Maslick. You'll find links to Wendy's website and her social media page on our webpage at measured-voices.blogspot.com. Be sure to follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter at Measured Voices. Next time out, I sit down with Jonathan Warren and Dave Sather-Smith from Jonathan Warren and the Billy Goats. I'm Walt Huntsman. This has been Measured Voices. Measured Voices.